The Winnipeg Jets are going to the playoffs. So we had much to discuss on their victory on Tuesday night, which booked their ticket to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we also had to discuss the Forever Winnipeg campaign. They are pushing for an additional 3,000 season ticket holders. And a lot of people are not happy with the messaging. We also spoke to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He's in Winnipeg today, so he joined us to discuss a number of things, including concerns over security in Ukraine after leaked documents from the Pentagon, as well as concerns over contributions to the Trudeau Foundation coming from China. And it's the International Day of Pink in support of anti-2SLGBTQ plus bullying. We spoke with our friend Lara Ray, who is a trans woman, and she offered some incredible insight into why people bully. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, April 12th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Should give the heads up that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau joins us at 8.35. And normally on any day when the Prime Minister is joining us, that's what we would open and discuss. But... There is something else. He can be usurped by several things, and, and one of them just might be what has everyone in a good mood this morning, I hope, Greg. I hope so, too. The Winnipeg Jets finally punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup playoffs by virtue of uh, what I would call a gutsy win in Minnesota last night over the wild. All sorts of crazy things happened in that game. Why don't we hear how the Jets got there? Teams come to center ice, puck is dropped, and it's showtime from St. Paul, Minnesota. Appleton out in front for Niederreiter, missed the pass. Back toward the line, it's held by Morrissey again for Appleton. Back for Morrissey, shooting, and it's directed in front. Stop, rebound, fired, they score! Adam Lowry will score again. Great chaos created by this third line, and Winnipeg opens up the scoring. Three minutes and 53 seconds into this one. It's 1-0 for the Jets. For Shifley, he finds the puck onto the far side, into where the corner, backdoor near side for Schmidt, shoots, stop, rebound, they score! Mark Shifley on the far side will collect his 42nd of the year, and it's 2-0 Winnipeg. For Boldy, high slot, got taken off the puck by Barron. Set back toward the line, no call. Forced out by Stenland, good job there. Against Klingberg, chipped off the wall. Scooting after it is Barron. Barron back in by the net, center out in front of shot. They score! Mason Appleton charged toward the net. What a play by Morgan Barron. And it's 3-1 to one Winnipeg. Seconds to go. Far side for Spurgeon. Up top, Rodine. Near side, Kaprizov. Out in front for Zuccarello. And now we're going to get a fight. Brendan Dillon has dropped the gloves and he is absolutely hammering on Hartman in front of the net. He's dropped him down and given him some right hands. So five on four. The goaltender's back in. And now Lowry and Reeves are going to drop the gloves again. This is round two from when Reeves with his, was in Vegas. They've dropped the gloves. Lowry and Reeves right at the Jets' blue line off the faceoff. Now they get tangled up. Reeves a couple of right hands. Lowry tried to pull him in. Swings a right at him. Hits him with a right. Swinging wild right by Reeves, and then Lowry gets him down. The Jets bench erupts. They are slamming their sticks in the boards for Adam Lowry, answering the bell here. Ryan Reeves ran around all night tonight, had to face the Piper. 
And Adam Lowry delivered. The Winnipeg Jets will slay the Dragon here and win for the first time against Minnesota this season. But more importantly, there will be hockey in downtown Winnipeg this spring. The Winnipeg Jets are going to the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in two years. It's, thanks to a 3-1 victory in Minnesota tonight. It's still not determined as to who the Jets will play, whether it be Vegas, whether it be Edmonton, as the Pacific uh, Division Championship still up for grabs. That was two minutes and 37 seconds of highlights. Could have done two minutes and 37 seconds of just Connor Hellebuck saves last night. He was extraordinary in the Jets' goal. He made some incredible saves to keep the Jets in this game. Several storylines, including that fight at the end when uh, Minnesota puts out their tough guy, Ryan Reeves, to drop the gloves with Adam Lowry with 24, 25 seconds left in the game. There was a hit, that a contentious hit on Nikolai Ehlers. Ehlers left the game for concussion protocol. We'll find out how he is. Hopefully he's okay. It uh, it was uh, it was really a playoff game last night, Lorraine. It was incredible. They came out so strong. And what was so fun about it is that you've had these uh, past three weeks, you know, with this up and down, sort of not wanting to get your hopes up. And man, just within that, as soon as that first goal was scored by Lowry, I just thought, all right, we're, this is, we're good to go. Uh, and and then Hellebuck, my God, I'm so glad he's probably going to sit against the Avalanche game, I would hope, because he played more than a dozen straight and he was diving. I kept thinking his knees, like you got to be careful. You know, he was all over the place. He was, he was uh, simply spectacular. Uh, many people consider him the top goaltender in the National Hockey League. I know it was just two weeks ago we were admonishing the effort of the Winnipeg Jets, the collective will of this hockey team, but now they've won five out of six games when it mattered most. They've uh, authored uh, this story now. They are into the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of teams who want to play them right now, Brett. It was just last week, I think. I'm trying to find what day it was. The, it was yeah, it was last, just on Thursday when the Winnipeg Jets at the time were tied with Calgary for that last playoff spot in the West. And we asked the question, where do you rate their chances? And the majority was, um, I've lost the faith. I've given up. And I wonder how those voters might feel right now. I mean, I, I, I am not going to make any predictions on how far they're going to go in the playoffs, but it is pretty cool that they're back. I don't disagree. Time and I, enjoy won't make any, <laughs> I will not make any predictions now or likely uh, uh, four or five days from now when we get ready. Stanley Cup playoffs get underway on Monday, so uh, the Jets will play Monday or Tuesday at Edmonton at or at Las Vegas. Mm. And uh, so those will be some uh, late nights next week. So bank, you know, your, bank your sleep. After all this talk too, I mean, I know this is about, it's about hockey, but it's about a community. And we've had so many conversations over the last three years about the downtown and crime and people not being here in the pandemic. And I think, I, I, I hate myself for how much I now want this party because I'm now back on the wagon big time. Yeah. I, I was sort of, meh. Two weeks ago because I was done with all the up and down and in and out and all the rest. And now I'm like, no, we could really use a party downtown. Yeah, that'd be great to see those Winnipeg Whiteout parties back uh, because it was just so exciting to see so many thousands of people downtown having fun celebrating the Jets, celebrating the city and celebrating each other. So at 645, actually, we're going to tie the Whiteout parties into what we'll be discussing there in terms of big parties. We have also to discuss... Uh, at 6.35, uh, 
an interesting new campaign from the Winnipeg Jets. Foreverwinnipeg.ca, you can go to that win- website. It'll sort of redirect you. You'll, you'll end up within the, the Winnipeg Jets uh, website, nhl.com environment. And it's a video we'll play a couple of different chunks from. It's voiced by Winnipeg wrestling icon Kenny Omega. It's a move by the Winnipeg Jets to secure more season ticket members. It's no secret the Jets... Uh, did not sell out every game. In fact, I think they only had five sellouts this past season. They were one person shy of a six sellout. Uh, sellout. They averaged over just over 14,000. But you'll remember there was a magic number when the NHL announced it was coming back to Winnipeg. We'll talk about what the Jets are doing, need to do to get back to that number. So once again, exciting times. The Jets have booked their tickets to the Stanley Cup playoffs, or as I like to say... The North American Ice Hockey League Championships. Go, Jets, go. The Winnipeg Jets last night punched their ticket to the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs. Tickets, a push for more season ticket members, went live yesterday afternoon. Against all odds, what once was lost, we found once more our pride but never forget never again so is Winnipeg in NHL City you better believe it but it takes all of us join us that is the last 30 seconds of a 90-second video voiced by wrestling icon Winnipeg's own Kenny Omega. Yeah, so the campaign is Forever Winnipeg. You can see more of that video at foreverwinnipeg.ca. But what was with that video was a declaration, and here's how it goes. Winnipeg, the Jets, one community, one family. Since our earliest days, our vision has never wavered. To be a consistent source of pride for our community, equally important is our responsibility as the steward of professional hockey in Winnipeg. We endeavor every day to create long-lasting memories for our fans and connect our generation's past, present, and future. Our commitment to keeping the Jets in Winnipeg forever has never been stronger, but it takes all of us together. Join us. That's the line. All of us together, Brett. This past regular season, the team sold approximately 93% of all available tickets and averaged just over 14,000 fans per game. Christina Litz, Chief Brand and Commercial Officer, True North Sports and Entertainment, joined the news yesterday afternoon. The question is whether or not she could confirm that the current season ticket base is at or less than 10,000. I don't want to say the exact number right now, but look, you've been to the games. You've seen that we're not 100% uh, sold out on a regular basis. So we're, we're now selling, and we acknowledge that, look, a lot of things in our market has changed over the 12 years since the team's return. So it has been reported that Jets chairman Mark Chipman told a Chamber of Commerce luncheon that the team is down 3,000 season ticket holders. And when you add 10,000 to 3,000, you get to a magic number, one which was prevalent back in May and June of 2011. This is NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, May 31st, 2011. The best way for our fans here in Winnipeg to celebrate the opportunity is to buy season tickets. Selling season tickets, selling 13,000 season tickets is the best message to send to the NHL Board of Governors before they meet on June 21st. And to be candid, this isn't going to work very well unless this building is sold out every night. 
Thus, the drive to 13,000 was born. And 3,000 is the number that they said yesterday on the news that they, they need 3,000 season, new season ticket holders. Right. So that's, that's why we're, we're doing some math. We're doing uh, some, some investigative reporting, I guess, if uh, you want to look at it that way. Anyway, the list of reasons that fans say they've stopped purchasing tickets to Jets games is a lengthy one. And it, th- these don't apply to everyone. But uh, among those that, that I've heard directly from fans, the ever-increasing cost of tickets, the cost of concessions, par- parking, merchandise. Some will point to the lack of a smoking or vaping area for fans. Some will point to the fans which haven't returned post-pandemic that over COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Some will suggest the team has taken its season ticket base over, uh, you know, taken, taken the, the season ticket base uh, uh, for granted over the years. Some will point to restrictive size of the seats. This gets us back to the video. Talks about Winnipeg being a collective act of will. Talks about our sense of community and how that translates into this against all odds story of Winnipeg as an NHL city. Whoever thought that this town could be an NHL city? Too cold. Too small. Too ordinary. Some say that Winnipeg is a collective act of will, a place founded on strength of community, molded by conviction and a fighting spirit that echoes through generations. Through storms and floods, cynics and skeptics, we count on each other and we persevere and thrive. So there are three seconds of that video, which have some seeing this new campaign as a support the team or else. And I guess you'd say four words, never forget, never again. That accompanies two clips, one of Keith Kachuk waving goodbye to fans in 1996 and a sign which fans brought to that last game at Winnipeg Arena, April 28th, 1996. Many of you will know it. It's a sign that read, our jets will fly forever. I understand fans and non-fans feeling as though there's a veiled threat with the inclusion of that piece of video, those four words. Thousands upon thousands of Manitobans felt the pain of the team leaving back in 1996, and I think it is a huge motivating factor in the continued support of the team. One fact remains, regardless of how this hits you, if if it does at all, from day one, 13,000 season ticket holders has been an important, if not essential part of True North's business plan. So it would stand to reason at some point that a team loses, has ebbs and flows in its season ticket holder base. Unless you're in a huge market, maybe like a Toronto, or you're a winning team. I think winning might translate it to more people into the seats, and I'm talking championship wins. But you also see championship teams that struggle with their season ticket base. I, I would love to know what listeners think about what's bringing them to the game or keeping them away. For me, just in with my hours, but also for where things are at right now, it's cost. But that, that, that would go for the reason why I'm not going to the movies as much into the symphony once that would be a once a year thing because it's caught it's pricey too it's like a jets game uh depending on what you're choosing to do so for me it's money uh and that would be it brett for you well yeah for me it would be like let's say i was uh somebody who would consider season tickets for this it would be the money for sure even just the cost of like buying a drink at the game, I, I would imagine the prices are the same for the whether it's a Jets game or another event. Like I went to the AEW event last week, I got two rum and coke, and it cost me twenty four dollars. 
And I just thought, well, I mean, I in a way that's good because it prevents people from over-consuming. But to go out to one game is an expensive prospect, never mind multiple games. How many, by the way, how many people are you allowed to share season tickets with? Because like when I remember when the when the season ticket That's first thing, question. I think you were allowed to have two names on an account once upon a time, and those rules have changed and evolved over the years. That was very restrictive. Okay. At the beginning of this process, but of course. But you could be in a group, like you could have you your could, name on the account and just share your tickets. Share your tickets, but th- there was one person typically who was the primary account holder. Uh, because, you know, we've seen in other markets over the years, those rights to purchase those season tickets have value over time. And so those season tickets rights haven't held their value the same in this market as they say they have in Toronto, where season tickets get passed down generation mm-hmm. to generation, uh, you know, 1967, since they won the Stanley Cup. I'll tell you this, I've been to Leafs since games. They've, Boring. Since they've won a, Boring a one round of Toronto. playoffs. So, like I said, there's lots of things we could debate, but this whole idea of 13,000 being like, a, a, you know, buy this many tickets or else thing, that's been the number since day one. It's a so, business. They have to have a certain number of seats yes. filled or they can't or do they, business. Right. And uh, rich people or wealthy people don't get wealthy by giving their money away. People can say David Thompson is the richest guy in Canada, Mark Chipman's partner. Well, you, you don't accumulate that kind of, kind of wealth by not giving a you-know-what about how your assets perform. It's, it's a business. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away to see Krista Berg at the Centennial Concert Hall on Saturday, April 29th. The Winnipeg Jets back in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, of course, we all remember those whiteout street parties and how much fun they were. I think for the for the most part, I think most of us enjoyed them. Maybe if you live downtown or nearby, it might be a little a little intrusive. But, hey, it was fun. It was neat to see, I think. Uh, so we're going to ask you right now at 204-780-6868, just tell us a story about a big party you've been to, whether it was um, like the best big party or perhaps it was you have a fun story from a big party or maybe it was a part like a big party that you just happened to stumble into, like you didn't know it was happening and you walk down, you get off your bus downtown and you go, oh yeah, Santa Claus parades today. Like on your wedding day? When the Santa Claus parade uh, divides your wedding party, most of your guests from your ceremony and your reception. I don't know anything about that. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to need to learn more about that. But let's go around the horn here at 204-780-6868. Lauren, why don't we start with you? And I'm I'm struggling not to come up with a party, but I've had, <laughs> I've stumbled into several good parties over the years. One was uh, during the Heritage Classic. We we ran into someone we knew when the Jets play the Oilers in town who worked for the NHL. Next thing you know, we had a pair of tickets to the um, Gallup party at the rink that night, which was on ice level and like chefs cooking things and ice sculptures. And we were all dressed in jeans and hoodies mm. and our like ski pants because we had just got these tickets. And next thing you know, Team Mussolini was there and all the rest. And that was super cool. Chipman was playing the drums. It was just a crazy experience. Uh, I had a party in university where Tom Green showed up, the comedian Tom Green. <clears> and we didn't know him at all, but he oh just, wa- he stumbled into our party. It's like he heard the music and him and some friends came in and that's back before camera. So I, I keep 
keep thinking, I wish I'd had a selfie right. with Tom Green like you would have had in 2022. And then uh, just while traveling, you know, you just walk into, you know, you're looking for something to do. And next thing you know, you're in a bar and having a good time. So I, could, I couldn't settle on one. You've had a lot. I've had a lot of fun. So much fun. Mackling, what about you? Well, I guess the best time I ever had, one of the more memorable times, was in Chicago at Wrigley Field out in Mur- Murphy's Bleachers, which is a pub outside the outfield wall in Wrigleyville. And uh, so I was there for a weekend with a bunch of buddies. It was supposedly my buddy Stag 16 years ago. He's still not married. Still with the same woman, but... They're still not married. Anyway, that's beside the point. We decided we had tickets for the game on Sunday afternoon. The The Cubs were playing Friday afternoon, so we were we decided we were going to go down to Wrigleyville just to enjoy the party, consume some beverages, and the game got delayed on Friday afternoon. We had been consuming some beers with some guys from New Jersey. They made their way towards the game, and then it started raining, so everybody stayed put. And all of a sudden, Chris Chelios walks into Murphy's Bleachers with the Stanley Cup and jumps up on the bar and starts pouring beer into the Stanley Cup and offering people drinks out of said Stanley Cup. Awesome. Wow. I had a Winnipeg Jets t-shirt on, of course. He pointed me out. He says, hey, Winnipeg. This is as close as you're ever going to get. And pours Pat's blue ribbon down my throat. And then I looked over. (laughs) I looked over, and against the wall is John Cusack and Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam. It was a magical afternoon. Wow! Get Tom Green. This is so much better. (laughs) No kidding. That's fantastic. Check the OR. You like it so far? Poitras, you were wearing your uh, Wrigleyville shirt a couple of days ago. What's uh, what's your story? doesn't well, have to be involved in Chicago. Yeah, no, I was out. I was in Europe actually, and we were doing. I was doing one of these uh, uh, beer tours, and the best beer on the planet is in Prague. If you've been there, you know that Pilsner Lagers. It's their ultimate beer. IPAs. I'm so sick and tired of those. Uh, probably a controversial <laughs> statement, but I don't care. I'm sick of them. Um, but anyways, um, uh, so I, we're, I was doing this beer crawl and stuff like that, and this guy just kept mentioning, he's like, "Yeah, you gotta go check out this dog bar, man." And I'm like, okay, cool, man. He's like, sure, we'll we'll see where the night takes us. And anyways, he kept talking and talking about this about this this dog bar. And so, anyways, we get in line and we're we're sitting there waiting. It's a huge line, and I got nowhere else to be or anything like that. So um, I'm sitting next to, and all of a sudden, I'm standing next to these guys. One guy from Australia, another guy from California. Um, and I start quoting my favorite, one of my favorite movies, um, which is uh, which is um, it doesn't matter. But anyways, we get it. We finally get into. This this story is I, I you're trying to you're 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 seeing how I'm dancing around the actual details of the story because as soon as I got in that's as far as I can go uh, with what actually happened on the air but it was there was just like these dogs walking around it was complete pandemonium there's these people all around dressed in whatever um and it was it was they the how weirdest- many dogs were in there. Oh, like probably twenty five, just just like wandering around the party. I don't know; it just didn't make sense. And then they had um, these. Uh, there was like this karaoke crazy stuff. And the, the weirdest way of getting into the getting into the bar was you had to pay before, and you got a fob, and then you they charged you by this fob. And instead of just like taking your money, like every other bar in the world, like these guys decided Cashless that they were doing, society. It's like yeah, Thermia. yeah, well. <laughs> Something like, like that. Thermia. Yeah, I don't but think this story ends the same way. As no, thermia. no, it certainly doesn't. Like, I want to know what your truth <laughs> serum is, relaxing. Cam. I want to hear I, this entire not, story. I don't get to confess that on the air. Absinthe here, so. would get you there. Did you have absinthe <laughs> that night? 
I've been to Prague twice. Deny. Both nights didn't end in the night. It was 6 a.m. I think we went home. We got one minute left. Let's get to Skylar Peters. Uh, Greg Mackling stole my Stanley Cup party <laughs> store. I can't believe that. Like You should have gone last, my friend. Yes. My phone background for the last four years has been the Stanley Cup and umpteen Coronas. Uh, Joel Edmondson uh, from Brandon, Manitoba, won the Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues. They took down the Winnipeg Jets on the way that year. Uh, the whiteout party that year was fantastic. But uh, the Stanley Cup party Gee. at my family's bar uh, in Brandon was, uh, I mean, an all-time moment. Drinking from the cup, throwing some bowling balls down the lane. Uh, and I had to come back here, and uh, I think I had a 9.30 shift. I think I was filling in for Tristan Field-Jones at the time. So not sure how he sounded the next day, but I made it, <laughs> and I made it on time. And, uh, yeah, that was just an unreal night. So uh, Eddie's not going to get to do it again with the Montreal Canadiens this year, but uh, we'll see about next year. Well, at 7.15, we got to find out if producer Jeff Fortier has also had a drink out of the Stanley Cup because it's (laughs) (laughs) – what are the odds? Running theme here. No kidding. Uh, In the meantime – It like it should be more exclusive than – Two out of five people in this room having drank from the Stanley Cup. No? <laughs> no. Sky the You've beard. held it, kissed it? Yeah. Caressed it? In Afghanistan, there was Hugged no it? booze. Yeah. Still, okay, so three of us have seen the Stanley Cup in person. Right now, the question, will the Bank of Canada continue to hold its key interest rate at 4.5%? Well, we'll find out later this morning. Yeah, that decision comes just after 9 our time. And not only will they reveal if they're going to hold that rate, uh, they're also going to talk about the economic forecast for this country and where they think inflation might go, Greg. Well, supposedly, supposedly. I'm going to go with supposedly, inflation is cooling. Although prices in the grocery store and at the pump haven't changed in months. In fact, gas just went up. Last week, we saw uh, predictions and and despite predictions of a soft recession, Canadians are spending. In fact, technology company Square is reporting retailers, particularly in the food and beverage area, as well as beauty and personal care, are seeing some growth. Chris Amara is a business analyst at Square and joins us now. Chris, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, doing very well and apparently so are some businesses in our neck of the woods. What did your numbers show? Absolutely. So exciting to see last year was actually really strong for Winnipeg businesses. And the first three months are showing that Winnipeg small businesses are continuing strong. So the uh, food and drink is up 27% uh, in the first three months of this year. Uh, Retail is up 17%. And uh, the beauty and personal care up 22.5%. So really, really strong numbers. And it just shows how resilient businesses are in Canada and and more specifically in Winnipeg. And it has me asking some questions about what's going on with the consumer because we are concerned about the bottom line and yet we're spending in areas that might be considered at least, you know, on the beauty front or other might be seen more discretionary. But before we get to that, Carissa, how did you come up with this number? People might be saying, where does this data come from? Yeah, so something that uh, people know square for is that little white reader they see at farmer's markets, but we've actually grown to be so much more over the last 10 years. We've actually launched 30 different products that are specific to our small business needs across Canada. So we work closely with uh, food and beverage uh, businesses. So your restaurants, local downtown, Kilter Brewing. We also work with uh, your beauty salons, your barber shops. We work with all your retailers. So we have a really long range of businesses that we support and work really closely with and partner with so that we can understand their needs and help them grow. And then with that, we get a lot of insight and a lot of feedback directly from them 
in terms of what's going well and what's not going so well so we can continue to grow alongside uh, alongside them. So the numbers were up in 2022, but should we not expect that growth in 2022 compared to 2021, considering that 2021 still had pandemic restrictions that were particularly challenging for places like restaurants and hair salons? You know, it's interesting because you would think that, but Canadians are really about community and we really gather around one another and support small businesses in our communities. So the resilience that our small businesses had where they learned to pivot and we saw restaurants open little shops in their stores and they became retailers alongside um, a restaurant or they started doing their takeout and really ramped that up. And then our communities came and rallied around them to help them continue to keep their lights on and keep customers coming through the door. So 2021 was actually a really strong year for us. And then we just continued to see that resilience and that community grow around our small businesses because we want we want them to succeed. We want to continue to go into our local brewery with our friends, pull out a board game and have a pint. And the only way to do that is to keep showing up. So those numbers are really promising to start 2022. Chris, I would suggest that these numbers back up what I've observed anecdotally, that places are busy Places that I go to seem to be as busy as ever. I, I know some business owners who have had some some bumper crops, so to speak, to borrow from the farmer's vernacular. What are we seeing across Canada? Is, is Winnipeg an outlier in this, or is it, is it a, one of a number of cities that is maybe bucking the trend, so to speak? Yeah, this is Canada-wide. Um, we, we see this across the large cities, and we also see this across our small and mid-sized cities. And that's, uh, our team is actually in Winnipeg this week because we see that excitement around these small, mid-sized cities that are really bucking the trend and, and rallying around to see this resilience. So, um, yeah, this is a Canada-wide thing, and, and it really shows how supportive Canadians are of this small business um, community and how we want to continue to see them succeed and to see them grow. And the resilience is showing through small businesses opening that second location, that third location, uh, donut shop, coffee shop, um, hair salon. And the more we continue to show up as Canadians and spend locally, the more we'll see that resilience continue. I, 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 is there a way, and there's no way to quantify this, I am curious if we see then that there's also a growing amount of debt attached to those credit cards because there are a certain section of the population that's saying it's too hard to put food on the table, let alone, you know, get my hair done. So how are we affording all this? Is there any sense? I, I don't have a sense of that, <laughs> that side of things. I'm on the small business side. What I can say is, I mean, may, maybe. Um, Canadians have always historically been more conservative in how we spend and very thoughtful. And I work closely with a lot of Americans and we just spend very differently. We're very, very thoughtful. So as much as we're all feeling um, the increase of inflation, we're also still Canadians. We're still very conservative and careful when it comes to our spending. Chris Amara, business analyst at Square, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for the time and the insight. We appreciate it. Of course. I have one more shout out. We're actually hosting small businesses in Winnipeg at Kilter Brewing today. Um, so we'd love any small business that wants to come out, tell us about their business, tell us about their dream and how they're succeeding, and, and, and they can have a pint on us. What time? Uh, five to eight o'clock. All right. Krista, Carissa, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This morning, we are talking about big parties because with the Winnipeg Jets making it back into the Stanley Cup playoffs, we, of course, rem- remember the, white- the Whiteout Street parties, and we want to ask you what's the best big party you've ever been to or you got a fun story from going to a big party or did you ever stumble into one or maybe a big party kind of got in your way as you were just trying to go about your daily life and you didn't realize this thing was happening. Jeff Forte, we didn't get to you at 6.50. What's your tale? Uh, for me, this was probably about eight, nine years ago and uh, my buddies took me to this place. It was, a, it was like an abandoned warehouse almost. It's a building and on the third floor these three guys rented out i guess rented out the third floor they're the only people in the whole building and like, it was like a rave yeah but it, like they their bedrooms were like makeshift bedrooms out of curtains and like it was just it was the most random place which is an open 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 uh, floor plan and there's like 200 people there and you pay the guys 20 bucks and you get unlimited beer because they just had a bunch of kegs and there was a DJ, and, like, this building was so old, it was, like, crickety, and, like, the bathrooms were sketchy, but, uh, like, later on in the night, uh, when the party started dying down, we uh, we go down to the basement, and it was, like, a dungeon. Like, it was scary as hell. There was, like, a, pian- <laughs> there was a piano with, like, dust all over it, but it was just, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy night. And I can't get into too many details, but it was just, like, that atmosphere, like, not knowing really where am I, and... Like, oh, this is neat. This is weird. This is different. But you had fun. Oh, I had a great time. How much (laughs) fun did you have at the end? Oh, a lot of fun. (laughs) Jeff Forche, were there pentagrams uh, drawn on the basement floor? No, but I honestly, like, in the basement, it seemed like it was the perfect place for haunting. Like, a perfect place. Can you at least disclose where this was? Like, what neighborhood was this in? It was around downtown. Okay. How did you get there? Around like, how did you hear about it? I, 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 can't, I can't really remember. I can't, I can't really remember. The invitation was in the form of a raw egg. You had to present <laughs> a raw egg to get in the back door. Were you kidnapped to get there? I'm. I'm how did? How oh this? no, it's just me. Me and my buddies we were playing in a band at the time, and uh, uh-huh. we stand up uh, showing up there. My one buddy knew one of the guys there, but it, it was it was sketchy, but it was fun, and you just got to meet a lot of interesting people. And mm. the cops didn't show up. Nope. So, because this was, I gather, like a secret party, right? Something like that. He did mention unlimited beer. That's right. right. 20 bucks, 20 bucks, right. they had kegs and just <laughs> sounds go like at it. it. Sounds like maybe that affected your uh, recollection of the yeah. events. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Downtown. It was in the downtown-ish. Somewhere yeah, downtown yeah. Somewhere, somewhere downtown-ish. Uh, could you be more specific? Area. I cannot. <laughs> what time did you get home? I don't know. I've only have, I've been to one warehouse mm-hmm. party somewhere in the exchange, and it was weird. The details on how to get there were sketchy. It was like they didn't want to reveal the details until late. Because they, they knew the cops would eventually show sure. up and shut mm-hmm. up. And they did. The cops showed up. It uh, was that big? Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, I don't know how many people were there, but there were people uh, hopped up on ecstasy all around oh me. It was very strange. But, uh, you know, I got to go to at least one real rave. 204-780-6868. Tell us about your big party. 
Winnipeg Jets making their way back to the Stanley Cup playoffs following their absence last spring. They are back, Brett, but they didn't back their way into the opportunity to vie for Lord Stanley's coveted mug. They did so with five wins in their past six games. That includes a playoff-like win in St. Paul, Minnesota versus one of the hottest teams in the NHL since the All-Star break, regional rival Minnesota Wild. 680 CGOB Sports Director Kelly Moore joins us now. Kelly, character win, statement win are two words coming to mind. How about you? Uh, I'd say character win for sure. Uh, I mean, you know, it, perception is everything. So if uh, there are those who view it as a statement win, uh, so be it. Uh, the way I look at it, Greg, is that, uh, you know, the Jets were able to get their game back on track against the likes of the Detroit Red Wings and the Nashville Predators and the San Jose Sharks. They did win uh, a game against New Jersey during that homestand as well. But what would their game look like against a playoff caliber opponent? And, uh, you know, could they do that? And, and they were able to do that last night in Minnesota. So I guess from a statement uh, perspective, uh, certainly we're ready for the playoffs, I think was the message that was sent loud and clear. Now the play of Connor Hallebuck was such an essential part of that win last night. Just how good was he? Well, Brett, uh, he was absolutely fantastic, especially in the third period. Uh, I, I thought Winnipeg just played about as well as they possibly could on the road in the second period. They gave Minnesota absolutely nothing. Uh, they uh, were able to take a lot of the air out of that building uh, at XL Energy Center, which is one of the more vibrant uh, arenas in the National Hockey League. Uh, but then they took a penalty early in the third period. The Wilds scored in the power play, and it was game on from that point on at 2-1. And that's when Connor Hellebuck went to work. Uh, he made a couple of fantastic reach back out of desperation and stop the puck with the paddle of your goal stick saves and if that wasn't enough and don't you think it should be uh, then without his goal stick he makes a save with his blocker hand and controls the rebound Uh, and, and it was not an easy save that he made either so he was absolutely superb he's not going to win the Vezina trophy uh, Linus Allmark of the Boston Bruins is going to win that for the kind of season he's had. Uh, but Connor Hellebuck, uh, uh, probably if there if there was a statement, Greg, <laughs> Connor Hellebuck made the statement, and I'm ready to carry this team uh, for as far as I possibly can in the postseason. He was just superb. It's uh, it's the thing I watched on replay over and over again. And then, of course, what I also watched was just some of the what I thought were maybe missed calls. A lot's been made of the officiating, Kelly, in that game last night. And and some people say by the end, you know, with the fight and, and Reeves and, and what was a major or should have been a major on Ehlers, uh, they let the game get away from them last night. Would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Loren, I have not uttered a word about officiating all season long, but game 81, uh, Jean Hebert and Trevor Hansen just, they, they just did not have their A game last night as officials in the National Hockey League. And uh, there are always two participants. So I'm sure the Winnipeg Jets were doing some things that caused Minnesota to react the way that they did. But uh, the Wild uh, were a little less subtle about how they went about business. You know, Ryan Reeves, it sure looks like he left his feet to hit uh, Dylan DeMello from behind. No penalty called on that play. Uh, And then uh, especially uh, the blindside hit 
uh, by Ryan Hartman on Nikolai Ehlers. Now, Ehlers had uh, delivered a hit to Kirill Kaprizov, who is Minnesota's marquee player just before that. But it was a clean hockey hit. There was nothing untoward it about it. And so for Hartman to step into Ehlers when he did not have the puck and was not expecting to get hit, uh, I'm sure NHL player safety is going to rule on both of those plays. And the thing that bothered me, I think, the most when Ryan Hartman and Brendan Dillon uh, started to scrap, and Dillon had Hartman in a pretty vulnerable state and held up his right hand. He 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 could have delivered a few more blows, but he did the right thing, uh, held up his right hand and let the officials get in there. How does Minnesota respond? They send out Ryan Reeves and Marcus Foligno with less than a minute to go. I... Uh, there were just a lot of optics that were uh, wrong about that, and it was not uh, uh, it was not a great finish to the game from that perspective. But you know what? Uh, the Winnipeg Jets were already tight as a team, and I think the Bolts just got squeezed a little bit uh, uh, tighter as a result of what went ha- uh, what happened in the last couple of minutes of that game. Yeah, hopefully Adam Lowry didn't get hurt and <laughs> throwing those haymakers uh, against Reeves and and Ehlers. Now uh, that that'll be a question to be answered over the next couple of days, Kelly. Uh, before we let you go here, we. We've been discussing the Jets forever Winnipeg campaign, and and I'm old enough to remember at least three Save the Jets campaigns since I was a little kid going back into the WHA. Endless conversations about new arenas and, of course, the ultimate departure of the team to Arizona. When we discuss a less-than-sold-out building right now over the past couple of seasons, in fact, in my mind, there's a, a... an unwillingness of the fan base to trust this team. I want to play a little bit of Connor Hellebuck post game last night. Well, I think we battled our adversity. Um, it might have took us a little bit longer, but I think we figured us, ourselves out, and um, we got the character in the room, and now we know what our game is. And to, to come out and show it through this stretch has been huge. We know what this team did prior to the All Star break. Is this five wins and six games down the stretch trustworthy? Well, you know, the thing you have to always enter into the equation, uh, you know, is that other teams that the Winnipeg Jets are likely going to meet in the first round are playing awfully well, too. I mean, if it's the Edmonton Oilers, they're 13-0-1 in their last 14 games. They've won eight in a row. If it's the Colorado Avalanche, they are 14-2-1 and in their last 17 games. And if it's the Vegas Golden Knights, they are 14-3-3 in their last 20 games, and Mark Stone has started to skate again. So uh, when you say trustworthy, I I would say the Winnipeg Jets, uh, uh, I think, have found uh, the, uh, or they've rediscovered the game that made them so successful in the first half, but nothing is guaranteed against the quality of an opponent like they're going to face in the first round. I'm not saying they're going to lose, Greg. No, uh, no. I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, it, it is going to be incredibly competitive. And as a Jets fan, if you see this team playing the same way uh, once the playoffs start that they have uh, for the last six or seven games uh, since they got it together again, uh, then let the chips fall where they may. 680 CJOB Sports Director Kelly Moore, thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Um, always my pleasure.
Transit safety officers could be riding city buses by the end of the year, but the city says the work starts now to try to make riders feel more safe while riding the bus. And I think riders would say that they want that work to maybe have started a long time ago. There's been all sorts of disturbing stories over the past few months about assaults on the buses. There was that story of a child being punched, a woman robbed, drivers spit on, serious assaults, stabbings in and around shelters, all sorts of things are going on. And so the burning question we have throughout the show many days is how are riders feeling and this morning global news reporter clay young is on the bus to get their thoughts and he's also spoken this morning to the city councillor tasked with improving safety on our buses what are you learning this morning clay learning a lot uh, i'm not sure if you guys can uh, can hear me or not right now we are are we on the donald street bridge is that where we are yes. oh we're on the donald no, street oh we're all oh, i get it okay I'm with uh, City Councillor Janice Flukes. We were busy talking. Uh, we started out in St. Norbert and made our way down into the downtown area. So we're talking a lot about safety on buses, safety on uh, for bus shelters, people who are waiting for the bus, the assault, the, the verbal abuse, etc. Is it getting better or is it getting worse? Well, I guess there's perspectives on that, right? I mean, we haven't had any incidents in a while, but... Um there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt in our city and we're seeing it spill out in many different forms. And unfortunately we're seeing it happen on the bus, near the buses. Um, but you know what, we're working uh, to get some transit security folks in place to help with actual incidents and also to help people get the resources that they need. So we're hoping to get some security officers on the buses, um, end of this year do we know what uh, powers these security officers will have i mean you know if somebody's being assaulted on a bus and there happens to be a security officer on board can he arrest the person can there be uh, you know can he get physical with this person if they're getting out of hand can they have handcuffs and taser i don't know yeah, you know, we're working with the province of Manitoba right now, and there's legislation changes. A lot of these details, Clay, are going to be worked out. Um, we're also going to be working with the transit union. Um, and these are a lot of details. This is a brand-new initiative for the city. So we're stepping very carefully and making sure that we have all the bases covered, and uh, those details will be coming forward. A lot of people are wondering maybe uh, that I'm talking to you, do you take the bus on a regular basis? I take it periodically through the month. I get out of the blue line and the south end and just zip right downtown. It drops me off in front of Union Station. I get my coffee and I go to City Hall. Yeah, well, I'm going to throw it back to you guys, but I can attest to that because since we've been on this bus, like Janice Lukes is a, some kind of a rock star. People are coming over and go, are you Janice Lukes? Yes. Oh, i got to get a selfie with you. Like, <laughs> I'm going, What? Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. No selfies with time. you, Clay? And so glad. We have a good time. <laughs> no, 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 I'm serious. People are coming up asking if she is who they think she is, and then they want a selfie with her. Rudy and I are just standing back watching the show. Clay, have you spoken no, to no. any... Um, I know a lot of people. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Clay, I wanted to ask you if you had time or an opportunity to speak to any passengers. What, what, what's the... What's the perception? What's the conversation with regard to safety, with regard to frequency of service, etc.? Well, um, we we interviewed actually a passenger right off the bat um, who takes the St. Norbert bus and comes into the downtown. 
uh, and she works on Ellis. She says taking St. Norbert is not a problem, uh, but getting back onto the St. Norbert bus is a bit of an issue uh, because the uh, the area is somewhat sketchy. Another fellow said, you know, um, sanitation is his biggest concern. He he, he wonders about the, the constant smell, and it's not a very nice one when he gets on a bus. But, you know, it, it, they can't be, uh, you know, these buses can't be luxury vehicles, and you take the good with the bad. Clay Young, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Clay Young, Global News Morning Reporter, live on the bus with Councillor Janice Lukes and the Selfie Brigade. That's an adventure for everyone. It shouldn't be an adventure. And that's maybe the point. I think so. I think it just depends on where maybe where you're coming from. And it's not really just, I mean, we, we focus a lot, maybe sometimes too much on crime because that's what might stand out. But even just the fact, you know, it's not easy to get from certain places in the city on the bus and the inability to even have it as an option in some areas because it wasn't really put into the infrastructure plans. Like she's out in Waverly West and we've spoken to her before about her transit use that's done at Luke's. And it's a, it's maybe it's a once a month sort of thing. And I would suspect that's in part because of service. It's not coming often and it's not everywhere. And the same goes even for someone like myself. I'd give anything to park at the South end of Winnipeg and hop on a one line downtown and not have to pay $200 for parking and, but also not have to pay a huge amount for parking at the university. These are not options and they should be in 2023. If I didn't work the hours I did, there's no question I would be taking transit to the office and home. My dad took the bus pretty much as long as I remember. My We had one car in our family. So if my mom, when she was going to work, she would take the car and my dad would take the bus. And it was just, you know, I mean, thankfully for where we lived, we were able to, was able to take one bus rather than have to transfer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned we were talking about parties earlier and, and maybe uh, a big party sort of throwing you, you off. And I remember just trying, I we were, worked at Polar Park at the time and I had to take a bus downtown. I think it was a radio station. Yeah, it was, it was. I think it was coming home from the radio station. So I took a bus from Polo Park to downtown, and then I had to transfer to get to Transcona. And obviously, this is a special event, and I'm not poo-pooing the Santa Claus parade, but it took me two and a half hours to get home. And uh, so it's those kind of things that if you don't take the bus that often, it might make you go, not doing that again. You make a good point. Uh, the infrequent uh, users of the service uh, aren't necessarily being sold on a lo- long-term relationship with Transit Tom. And again, I realize that was a very extreme example that I just gave, and it only ever happened once. But it was a fun day, to say the least. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. The Prime Minister will spend the day in Winnipeg meeting with students and trade workers on budget issues, members of the Jewish community celebrating Passover, and then later today he will sit down with the city's mayor. We have a lot of ground to cover given the concerns on everything from affordability to crime in this community and internationally, the war in Ukraine. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau joins us now on The Start. Good morning, Mr. Prime Minister. Good morning. It's great to be here. Let's start with Ukraine. Leaked Pentagon documents that appear to have detailed NATO operations in Ukraine uh, getting out. What concern do you have that these intelligence leaks could compromise Canadian activities in that region? Um, 
very, very few concerns around that. I spoke yesterday, actually uh, welcomed the Prime Minister of Ukraine uh, to Toronto and uh, sat down with him, uh, and he was adamant that uh, that these have absolutely no bearing either on morale of Ukrainians right now who are determined to continue to, to stand strongly against this Russian invasion, uh, but it, it certainly doesn't have any impact on uh, uh, the way Canada and Canadians are going to continue to support as well. Uh, we are going to be there to support Ukraine with as much as it takes, with as long as, as, long as it takes. We've uh, announced uh, more shipments of weapons as of yesterday, more sanctions, more economic aid. Uh, it's really important, not just for the defense of Ukraine, but for the defense of our values and the rules-based order internationally that we uh, continue to be unequivocal about this. Closer to home, you know, they're talking about Russia and Ukraine there, but now we're also talking a lot these days about uh, China and interference in elections and more, and there's calls mounting for the fed- from the federal opposition for an investigation into the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. And this follows a- that report detailing a $200,000 donation with alleged ties to Beijing. The entire board resigned yesterday, saying there was a great deal of p- pressure on its members. You said you had no connection to this foundation. Would you support an investigation? Uh, I think that there are some very real questions that the Trudeau Foundation needs to needs to answer. But uh, as you know, I haven't had anything to do with them for uh, uh, for over ten years now. Uh, they were set up to do extraordinary work, uh, supporting uh, research into the humanities uh, after my father's death uh, twenty years more than twenty years ago. Uh, but uh, we need to take uh, foreign interference extremely seriously, which is why at the federal level we have been bringing in more and more systems and approaches uh, to ensure that we're keeping uh, keeping. Canadians safe and uh, you know the concern that people have had around elections uh, we can at least delay that and say no uh, there was no impactful foreign interference uh, during the last two elections uh, our democracy holds strong Mr. Prime Minister my mom always said you judge by the company that you keep why go anywhere near this why why allow foundations uh, like the one named for your father to even even accept foreign contributions, foreign sponsorship, does that just not muddy the waters? And why would you want to be anywhere near that, anywhere close to it? Well, first of all, I'm not close to it. It's a foundation for my father that I, I, you know, don't have and haven't had deliberately anything to do to protect them from from politics uh, for uh, for over a decade now. So uh, I'm not close to it. But the other thing is that we know uh, that this is a very real issue, whether it's uh, University of Winnipeg, University of Manitoba, or uh, various foundations. There's uh, there have been attempts by China to to influence. Uh, charitable organizations and research facilities and uh, institutions like schools uh, and universities and others uh, for many years. And we have to continue to to step up and make sure that we're uh, taking this seriously. And that's something this government has always done, and we will continue to do it. Our guest this morning is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And Mr. Prime Minister, your federal justice minister has committed to targeted reforms to the criminal code that could lead to a more restrictive bail system. So that's something that Manitoba's premier, police chief and mayor have been pushing for for months. So when might we see those changes? Oh, uh, the the justice minister has been sitting down uh, with uh, uh, his provincial counterparts and uh, mayors and, and other leaders uh, for many many months now to talk about how to make the right changes 
uh, how we're going to make sure we're keeping our communities safe. It's something that we've always taken very seriously, but it's also something uh, that we're approaching on a fact-based uh, paced way. There's a lot of uh, fear-mongering out there, um, and, and there's, there's reason to be worried because there is an increase in crime that we're seeing uh, in lots of places, uh, but we have to make sure we're getting the right tools to, uh, to counter that, and that's what we're focused on. You've said fact-based evidence just now, and you know, one of the questions we had for Winnipeg's police chief just last week was, is there concrete data on just how many crimes have been committed while suspects are out on bail uh, or on other charges? And they said they were working on getting that data. It's not always easy, but shouldn't we have the evidence before we go changing laws? Uh, yes, that is something that we have been pushing for for a very, very long time. Better data collection, better uh, analysis of what's going on so that we're making policy based on, on evidence and data and not on ideology or, uh, or uh, you know, what, what sometimes seems to be common sense but doesn't actually, uh, uh, doesn't actually help. So but in this discussion, apologies, but in this discussion with the, with the justice ministers, do you have any sense that we have collected any data along the way that would allow to ha- even have this conversation before we put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we do collect data, but we don't collect uh, the data that municipalities are collecting in, in, their, uh, in their arrest cases. We, don't collect, we have to work with the provinces uh, in their judicial systems. We have to uh, uh, collate all that stuff, and that just means all of us working together more collaboratively than, than we have been. The federal government's always there for that. Uh, sometimes uh, the provincial and, and uh, other levels are challenging, uh, but we're there to base things on data. Mr. Prime Minister, let's switch gears and talk about affordability. Food bank use in this province and right across the country is skyrocketing. Critics have said the grocery check from your government is not a long-term solution, that this isn't going to help the families most in need. It's just a one-off. What's the long-term plan to help with affordability? Well, the long-term plan to uh, support affordability is uh, to lower inflation, to see inflation come down. We're expecting it to come down to around 3% uh, over the summer, if not even lower. Uh, But right now, families are hurting, which is why we're moving forward with the grocery rebate that's going to give uh, hundreds of dollars to to close to 400,000 Manitobans. Um, You know, a family of four will have an extra $467 for that. Uh, That's going to make a real difference in a targeted way. Uh, But what we also need to do is making sure we're building great jobs for the future, and that's where uh, so many of our investments on drawing in, uh, drawing in uh, the kinds of uh, resource jobs, the kinds of uh, green jobs, the kinds of um, you know, great jobs that uh, Canadians are going to need to support the middle class and grow the economy, is uh, the way to ensure that people can afford, uh, afford the cost of living. First Nations communities in, in our province, in northern Manitoba in particular, uh, you know, one in specific is not sure when dozens of kids will get back to school after its roofed, a roof collapsed. We continue to have boil water advisories in so many First Nation communities, Mr. Prime Minister. Something you promised to eradicate before 2023. Where are we on this file? Um, when we took office in 2015, there were about uh, 100 and nine boil water advisories. We've now lifted about 130 or so. Uh, The remaining 30 across the country all have a project manager and financing and uh, a a work plan to actually get them done shortly. Uh, We need to make sure that we're continuing to do that. Uh, It is something that has been foundational and extremely important to make sure everyone has access to drinking water, and that's something that we're we're doing. But uh, as you know, reconciliation is is a, a steady long-term work and we are uh, we're both 
moving as urgently as possible and making sure that it's it's uh, it's done in the right ways in full partnership with Indigenous people. Yeah, we look forward to not having to ask you that question ever again. Uh, you'll be talking to the mayor of Winnipeg later today. He's promised a big expansion of two of our major thoroughfares, but transit also needs major upgrades and expansion, safety concerns with regard to transit right across the country. Are we at the point where any federal commit- commitment for dollars on lo- local infrastructure projects um, would prioritize transit over roads or the other way around? Or does it have to be uh, $1 for this, $1 for that? Where are you on that? Over the past many years, this government has stepped up massively on transit investments. And I'll be honest, uh, a lot of the conversations I had with the previous mayor, Brian Bowman, uh, were about how it was challenging to get the province to actually uh, prioritize the city's city's transit needs. Um, The federal government was leaving money on the table uh, that uh, the province would not send to to Winnipeg for uh, for investments. Uh, Things are better now uh, with the current, uh, with with, uh, Heather Stephenson, but uh, there's still uh, a lot of work to do. We are, we are there to be partners in investing in public transit for Winnipeg. Uh, we just need to make sure that the projects move forward. But when you're talking in a conversation about, you know, encouraging more Canadian safer electric vehicles to get out of your car, to consume less gas, which is costing us all a fortune, are you at a point as a leader where you think that you should be putting more dollars towards transit versus, you know, expansion of a major thoroughfare? Well, we, we made a decision ten years ago or eight years ago that our investments in public transit uh, would be the core of our infrastructure investments. Uh, so we the provinces invest in roads, um, the federal government invests in public transit, uh, and that's uh, that's been some of the disagreements that we've had in, in the past with the government of, of Manitoba. Um, but we are there for investments in public transit because we know that strong, reliable public transit um, is better for people to spend less time in traffic. It's better for people uh, for the environment and for the future and it costs less and that's that's where those investments are are going and why we're going to continue to step up on uh, on building a cleaner future whether it's by putting more money in people's pockets with uh, with the price on pollution and and the climate action incentive which is actually landing on friday in manitoba families uh, family of four will get a check for 264 dollars um, to help with uh, with the fight against climate change and to help with affordability prime minister justin trudeau thank you very much for joining us this morning we appreciate the time Always a pleasure to be with you. Take care. Today, April 12th, is International Day of Pink. This day, Brad is about fighting anti 2SLGBTQ plus bullying. It started in Nova Scotia when two high school students saw a student wearing a pink shirt being bullied. At the time, they intervened but wanted to do more to prevent homophobic and transphobic bullying, all right? So a few days later, they, along with everyone in their school, they arrived wearing pink. And this is a huge act of solidarity that inspired people all over the world and is still used as a show of solidarity all these years later, Brett. So let's say hello to our friend, Lara Ray. Lara, good morning to you. Good morning. How, are, how is everybody today? How are my fellow bullies? <laughs> We're doing great, Lara. Good, good. Because I think it's important. It's, I think it's important to point that out, right? Bullying is, is a behavior. Right. And if you are a bully, the best way to stop being labeled a bully is to stop bullying. Right. So we all bully. And so why do why do we do that? I think that's very important to discuss on a day like today, because we've all uh, been the victim of a bully, you know, and it, it can destroy us. Yeah, well, and you know what, it's interesting that you say that, because even as I think back to my childhood, I dealt with my share of bullies. But I, there were also times where I was 
the bully. And I look back on that and think, well, you, I, I can't really, I almost feel like a hypocrite talking about bullies because I used to pick on some kids too. Well, I don't think we should feel like hypocrites. I think we should, and I think this is an important lesson, you know, in, in, in today's world, is we just have to do that extension that all human behavior is familiar uh, to all of us and really identify why we're participating in this behavior at a certain time in our lives and why are we participating in this behavior and maybe targeting a specific group of people, right? Because sometimes we might bully somebody, you know, because we're jealous at work or someone or somebody's really, you know, annoying us and so on. And then I would, I would say this, this is a sort of form of collective bullying where I get bullied as a, as a trans woman. And I can't take it personally. Of course I do because they literally don't know me. So what are they doing? What are they bullying? They're bullying a kind of a vision or an understanding of me and where and where does that come from and that's a little closer to what we look at on pink shirt day uh, Larry, you know is uh, yes, uh, uh, what, uh, what pretense stop bullying me i'm just talking <laughs> i'm interrupting you and i'm doing so as politely as i can because you've said something well, yeah, that interests me the other thing i think we have to do is we have to as george orwell said you know a, a half a loaf is not a loaf right and so you know Sometimes you do hear that, like I'm saying, stop. Obviously, you're not pulling me. You're just trying to get a word in, like any man. But <laughs> the thing of it is, is that um, what is, you know, what is bullying? And I think bullying is when you are attacking somebody for something within themselves or their way of being that they that they literally have no control over, that they can't change. They right? speak like now? Gay or being trans or whatever it might be, right? And And so then... To, to pick at that core part of a person is to, is to treat them like a thing. That's what Simone Veil says, that force is to treat a person like a thing. And bullying is a form of force in that way, right? Well, and I want to dig into that a little bit deeper, just this whole idea of what, under what pretense, under what circumstance is, uh, have you been bullied? How are people, people have to make a, a series of judgments, presumptions, assumptions, in order to go down that road, do they not? Absolutely, yes. So sometimes, you know, obviously proximity is important. I do find that any time um, one is able to come in contact with another group of people or another way of, of being in life, and you develop a kind of an empathy and an understanding, and you see what that person uh, goes through, you see the reality of their their life, but also you see the the challenges that you that they face, right, and that they're very similar to to yours, right, and the fact that we all understand what it means for somebody to reject us, and 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 a bully rejects you in some way. What's very interesting about bullying, though, is there's clearly some attraction, right? There are there are bullies that basically are across the board, right? They're terrorizing everybody in the playground, but that's. That's easily identified, and, and that person is isolated as maybe having serious behavioral problems. But then there will be somebody that, that really tends to pick on and target certain groups of people, you know, because they see them as, as weaker. So there's some desire, obviously, to, to get some power that you feel you don't have, right? And so the bully in that sense is, is somebody that doesn't feel they have power and then tries to, tries to demand it you know, of others, tries to kind of get a status uh, for themselves they don't feel that they um, have. And so one of the things that I think you, you do when you recover from bullying behavior is you really look at why you feel like 
you're not accepted. And one way, obviously, and we see this in the world right now so prominently, one way to be accepted in a peer group is to identify the values of that group, try to conform to them, right, as, as specifically and, and as, as, as emphatically as you can and reject anyone in the group that doesn't follow the same kind of, you know, into the same kind of categories. The problem is, and it's a very fascist tendency, your group gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, you don't get to be yourself, right? Which is You the, don't get to be yourself, exactly. And the whole point, and, you know, what I think is fascinating is that when we talk about bullying, we often, we're so good at talking to our kids about it these days and doing more in schools with it and all the rest. But here we are as adults having this conversation about potentially being bullied or being the bully yeah. as adults. And so you use the word recover from bullying. Is that just an, is that an ongoing process that we all have? Of course have to, it is. Yeah. It's an ongoing process every day. And to, and to, and to dismiss bullying thoughts. And I would say any time you think badly of a group of people based on, on their behavior or your perception of the behavior, or you think you're above somebody in some way, you really have to examine why this particular topic is angering you, why this particular, you know, um, situation is, is so, why, why are you paying attention to it? And I, I use that word because I think it's important in bullying because we, we do talk about the idea of rejection. Why am I attracted to this, you know, trans woman, because, you know, and I don't mean that obviously in a, in a sexual way, although I think that sometimes people who are threatened and scared of gay or trans people, you know, they have that within themselves. And one way, obviously, you know, protesting too much is a way to divert attention from the fact that you may be struggling with your own identity and your own ways of being, you know, certainly when I was a child and I knew I was trans, I knew I couldn't bring it up. Right. But because I felt like a girl and I, I knew I was a girl, I would I would behave in the way that girls would behave, which would, you know, bring attention to me because I presented as a boy. Right. And so I, that's why I would be bullied, uh, not because they knew I was trans, but because I was strange or to use the original definition of the word. I was kind of queer. I was a strange child. And then, of course, when I transitioned and I came out then that's a different kind of bullying because then, you know, there's a more visual manifestation and people are targeting, you know, the fact that I might look different from other women or talk different than other women and, and so on. But what are you doing when you're being attracted to me in that way? Because whether it's negative or positive, it's an attraction and I'm a stranger, right? So why are you attracted to a stranger? And it doesn't necessarily mean because deep down, you know, you want to be friends but don't know how to. But in many cases, this is the result. And in that healing, and, and there are many, many stories in mythology and in life of people who were on opposite ends of something becoming, becoming friends or at least reaching some kind of a mutual understanding. You know, even sometimes joining together to, to, to fight a cause you know, in, in conjunction. And we always have to focus on this idea of, of we're, we're correcting bad behavior. We can't categorize people as bullies and so on. Or then no bullies exist. You know, it's the same with Me Too and sexual assault. How many people have been sexually assaulted? A huge number of people will put their hands up. How many people have sexually assaulted somebody? Nobody puts their hands up, right? That can't be factually correct. 
right? But obviously there's a great deal of fear in taking responsibility for poor behavior, you know, that we have participated in, whether it's, you know, we always imagine ourselves to be the hero in our own, in our own story. And when we're talking to our children about bullying and stuff, I think it's, it's fundamental that we be uh, as honest as we possibly can. You know, I mean, one doesn't necessarily want to create instability, you know, as, as a recovering addict, when you share your story and the things you've done, you, you do so you don't want to bring great harm to, to other people. So you want, you know, your children to, to respect you. So, you know, you can give examples of things without, you know, completely degrading yourself, for example, but you have to let your children understand that you're not perfect and they're not perfect. And when they're bullied, they're being a victim of bullying, but they're not a victim persona and there's not a bullying persona. These things change and adapt. And if we get stuck in these labels throughout our whole life, we never can break free of them. Larry Ray, we have to go. But before we let you go, we just wanted to share a text message. Loren, you've flagged one that's come in on that pertains to International Day of Pink. Well, it's about, you know, there's actions and there's gestures, there's words we need to say, there's confrontations that maybe need to happen. But just this moment in listening to you speak, Lara, Brian says that he and his wife just changed into pink shirts and it feels good. Oh, that's so beautiful. And pink was for so long with never gendered, you know, as, mm-hmm. as, as feminine, you know. So these things change and adapt. So the idea that you're ridiculously holding on to, to a value like that, again, you just have to sit down and look at yourself, right? It's very important if you bully somebody to apologize and to stop doing the behavior. But if you don't want to continue to be like that, then it's actually yourself that you have to dig into and think about, you know, because it's, it's the behavior that's, that's the problem, right? We're all human beings. Lara Ray, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us on this International Day of Pink. Again, it's a day about fighting anti-2SL, GBTQ plus bullying. And, you know, the timing of this day is, is, I think, important as well. Like, I don't know if you saw this Bud Light controversy last week after the trans activist, actress and influencer Dylan Mulvaney appeared in a Bud Light video and Kid Rock, one of the many people upset, posts his own video wearing a MAGA hat walks up to a big case of Bud Light and blasts it with a multiple, rifle. Multiple cases. And then he says, F you, Anheuser-Busch, and gives the middle finger. Like, <laughs> What's so small within you that that bothers you? Yeah. I so, don't get it.